the great, uh, great doctrines of the Bible. It's the doctrine of the church. The nature of the church is, uh, I think, should be of special interest to every one of us because we are the church. We make up the church. And uh, when you think of the church, it speaks of our position and how we relate to the head of the church, that being Christ, and how we relate to the rest of the body, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, the church is designed to be able to do God's will, as we sang about there. And uh, here on earth is how God is represented by, by the church. And the church has to have leadership. We know the head, Jesus Christ, is the head of the church. He is the leader. But there are certain ones that He chooses to help um, others in relating with the Lord Himself and other people and equip them in the Word of God for the work of service that they would have. And uh, that's for the building up for the body of Christ. Think of Ephesians 4 the gifts that God has given um, to those and then spread out to the rest of the people and then they equip other, others too. The government of the church is a topic that I think is one of those, probably a divisive issue in some cases. It seems like there's hardly, no, hardly any doctrine that you don't have some kind of discrepancy on in the body of Christ, the universal church. Um, denominations have been broken up and started because of the idea of the way the church should be governed. So the, the questions are something like this. Should the church be a democracy where the majority rules? Now, we, we Americans tend to think that that's a pretty good idea. If you have 51% versus 49%, then that's pretty good. You win, right? The democracy rules in that case. Uh, or should it be ruled by one man, a domineering man. Should that be the case? Should it be ruled by multiple elders? Or should it be led by a pope and the magistrates? Well, some of the questions have been argued and discussed uh, for the the ages. And they probably will be until Christ comes back. But what is important is what the Scriptures say about uh, as far as uh, how the church is to be governed, how it's supposed to be ruled. Uh, and there are people that will take interpretations of the, that particular doctrine, and they may not be necessarily what we would agree with, what you'd agree with, but sometimes they have good reasons for what they believe. It's just that they're wrong anyway. <laughs> um, actually, there's some very clear teachings on certain issues where there really shouldn't be any discrepancy at all. There should be uh, no disagreement on certain things. Of course, there are fundamentals of the faith. You know, there's certain things that the body of Christ has to agree on. Um, so, what we're going to do tonight is look a little bit of this. Uh, look a look at the doctrine of elders. Uh, as we look at the doctrine of the church. Uh, the doctrine of the of the sheep. How about that? The flock. <laughs> anyway, let's uh, let's have a word. With the Great Shepherd. Father, You are certainly the great God. The great God in heaven who is holy, hallowed. Your name, everything about You is holiness. And may we concentrate on that 
therefore that is what stands out about you and as we learn more about your holiness Lord that we would pursue that in our own lives just uh, being led by your spirit and your truth and as we look at these truths that uh, Peter has given us and these principles may it be edifying to each and every one of us that we would uh, be glorifying you and that we'd be edified as a church, as individuals, and that we could edify others and help us to uh, learn better what you're about and what the church is about. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, chapter 5, brand new chapter is where we go into, and if uh, memory serves me right, there are five chapters in the book of Peter. And I don't know where we'll go from there, so we'll try to stretch this chapter 5 out for quite some time. <laughs> it has, uh, I think it's been very rewarding for us. It's been very timely. Uh, it's very practical. We say that every week. It's definitely something that we live out. It's uh, for, for each one of us today. And uh, why don't we read those four verses? Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Amen? The chief shepherd. So in the meantime, we happen to be here on earth without the very bodily presence of the chief shepherd shepherd, although His Holy Spirit is in our lives today, and Christ is very much alive to us, still yet, we live this life without His presence, physically. So, Peter says this, and he's been saying it all through the book, here's how you live as Christians in a foreign land. You are aliens and strangers. Here's how you might be treated You might be very much dishonored, maybe not treated very fair, but then he says, you know what? That should be expected because if they don't know Christ, then they don't know the ways of His people. So he's been telling them how to live in that kind of situation. And then he starts off in chapter 5. It's kind of interesting. You would think, okay, chapter 4, seems like it, it just chops off and then that's it. But Peter doesn't allow that to happen because he says, therefore, which means going back to what he last talked about, especially in 12 through 19, which was dealing with persecution and suffering. And so he says, since you're in times of difficulty and persecution and suffering, it's very important that the elders among you are exhorted so that they exhort the people in the churches. This is really important. You've got to have good leadership, good uh, eldership 
amongst the people because the outside world is pelting the church. So you, from the inside, you have to be strong. And so I think that's a, a way of looking at the context here. Uh, he's wanting to keep the flock on target. So if, if you're thinking of elders, and of course he used the word shepherd here, and of course that key term was found in verse 4, the chief shepherd. So that's why we have this title, Shepherd the Flock, as, as he's saying here, uh, that comes right off of verse 2, Shepherd the Flock of God. So Peter's been encouraging the aliens and strangers to the world that are really the, the Christians. He's been encouraging them and instructing them throughout this whole epistle about the life in a pagan world. It's not our home. Uh, if you're wronged for the faith, uh, well, just uh, count it all joy. Let Christ shine in our lives. And the elders have quite the responsibility in uh, leading the flock and keeping uh, things going in the church as they're having quite the struggle. I think one good place to start with, he says, therefore I exhort the elders. If you if you look at elder and then he says I'm a fellow elder, then in verse 2 he says shepherd. There's the word shepherd. And then also in verse 2 he says oversight. So there are really three terms there that's dealing with elder or pastor or bishop. And it's all the same person or persons. Multiple elders, that kind of thing. So you you have um, presbyteros for elders. For shepherd, you have poimen, which is pastor. And for the word oversight is that episkopos. You think of episcopalian or overseers. So there's the three terms that's meant for the one who uh, the ones who lead in the church. So if you have a shepherd, what's the shepherd to be dealing with? The flock. So let's look first of all at the flock as we've been looking at how the flock is supposed to be responding in the first four chapters. Uh, go in Luke twelve thirty two. Jesus spoke about the uh, the flock. Sheep, quite a bit actually. In Luke twelve thirty two, Jesus is speaking here, and he's talking about seeking the kingdom of God, and he says, "Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom." So he's been talking about the kingdom. God has chosen you for this kingdom, and gladly, gladly. He's chosen them. And he calls them a little flock. I've heard of a church that was way out in the country somewhere. I don't even know where it's at anymore. But it was called Little Flock Baptist Church. <laughs> little Flock. I guess it was named after this verse here. But that was pretty fitting though. Little Flock. And that, that kingdom was real little at that time too. <laughs> you basically had uh, the, the apostles and a few of the disciples, a few followers there. And so that's dealing with the kingdom, but they're they're a flock that's in the kingdom. And of course, you can't uh, be talking about the flock without going to John chapter ten, where Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. In verse eleven, remember that, right? I am the good shepherd. I am, right? Mm-hmm. Yahweh, the self-existent one. I am. John has seven, eight I am statements. 
showing that He's God and proving the deity there. I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. Right? He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I receive from my Father. So what a good shepherd. He will keep his sheep totally. Never will miss one. And if there's one he needs to gather in, he will gather them in. If one's lost, he will make sure and bring that sheep that's part of his fold that he's chosen to bring in. So, the good shepherd, matter of fact, Peter calls him in Peter chapter 5, what? The chief shepherd. The good shepherd. The great shepherd. Psalm 22, Psalm 23, Psalm 24. You know, you think of Psalm 23, right? Psalm 22 speaks of a shepherd. Psalm 24 kind of speaks of a shepherd too. And so, um, it's a great analogy as we deal with the, the sheep. And just to give you a few insights on the sheep that I just picked up in the last few days, I've said some things about sheep before, so I'm not going to hit on the same issues that I actually talked probably about a couple of weeks ago or so. We dealt with what sheep were on, on a Sunday morning, I think. Um, and down through the years, I've used some of the same thoughts. Um, a, a thing about sheep is that just a, uh, they can be lost within a few miles from where they're at and never be able to locate where their home would be. You know how dogs or cats, almost all animals, can they have an instinct to go back home and they can find it. Or you've heard of the, the stories of uh, what one was called a Disney show. It was a Journey. Incredible Journey. There we go. Going back to the 60s now, aren't we? That's for your time, wasn't it, Dwayne? <laughs> Anyway, they always find their way back home somehow, usually. And of course, birds, you know, they go all the way down to South America or whatever, you know, and then they come back up here, you know, and they find the very same spot they were there last year. God has that instinct for them, but sheep don't. Um, the sheep have adequate enough skills in their own pasture. They feel comfortable in their own pasture. They know that. Uh you know, maybe the place where they were they were born and such, and they will, um, if they have shade, they will uh, invariably rest in that shade every day. And go to that shade. It'll um, if, if that fold that they have is in the same place, they do just fine, as long as they stay in that home range. Uh, uh, you know, they're a grazing animal, but 
if they go very far, if they go very far at all on their own, they're in real trouble. That's why they have to have a shepherd. Because the shepherd's going to have to take them to different places because otherwise they'll eat all the grass up and then they'll be eating dirt. Um, if it goes into a, an unfamiliar territory, it feels totally lost. Has no sense of direction. Can't find what's going on. And um, lost sheep will just walk around almost like an endless circle. And, and if they can't find it, they'll just keep going around and they'll, they'll be confused. And they'll be at unrest. They'll, they'll even panic. So just a little bit out of their territory and they just... They just lose it. Uh, sheep are uh, are gentle. You know, you think of sheep being gentle. You think of them being kind of humble. They are. They're humble. Um, this is kind of interesting. You think of sheep being stupid, but they're not. They're quite intelligent, actually. Well, you know, have you ever been lost in a in a in certain areas? Yeah. Doesn't mean you're not intelligent. Some people don't have a good sense of direction. But they're just prone to get lost. And if they do go astray, they are helpless to go find food, to go find water. The two basic elements that they need so bad. They are absolutely helpless. It's going to take a shepherd to get them there. There's something like over a billion sheep in the world today. And uh, if there isn't a shepherd... And, and many shepherds, thousands of shepherds all across the world. If there weren't shepherds, they would die very soon of, of hunger and thirst. They have to have the shepherd. So they have, they have people caring for them. And, of course, we know that the shepherd in Scripture goes out after the lost sheep, right? You have 99 sheep and goes out after that one and such. Um, all other animals they can kind of track back but man not the sheep I think of um, the lost sheep of the house of Israel remember that one or how about in Isaiah all we like sheep have gone astray gone astray they can't find their way back they're confused they're hungry they're thirsty and that's the way that of course people can be uh, on the spiritual side um, anyway that's one thing about them that they can get lost very easy they're very vulnerable they can be led astray very very easily they're uh, followers and they matter of fact they will follow one sheep right to their death because that's how they have the, the slaughter of sheep. One sheep will bring them right on in, right on into that gate, and boom, that's it. And they just, you know, matter of fact, I think uh, we get that analogy of Jesus uh, as he was quiet before, as he was in his trials. And uh, we think of Isaiah there again in that thought. Um, they need to be rescued, they need to be protected, they need to be guided. They need to be provided for. Uh, they, they've got to have somebody to bring them into a safe place. And they are constantly hungry. They're constantly thirsty. That's what they do all day long. They eat and they drink. That's what they do. And uh, if they're left without a shepherd, they won't have a chance. 
just for very long at all. And of course, the wolves can snatch them up or what have you. This is interesting. They they have to have clean water. You know, some animals will just drink any water and everything's okay. Theirs has to be clean. Well, that sounds right. It has to be a pure water. And the thing is, they can't drink from a stagnant pool. But they can't drink from a rushing stream. And you remember in, in Psalm 23, He leads me be... What? Side to still waters. So it's, it's, it's a still water, but yet it's not a stagnant water. It's a slow-moving water. So pretty particular, aren't they? Most other animals don't uh, go in that in that sense. Um, beside the still waters. Um, another thing is they can't smell water at a distance, and animals can, or they'll catch it in the wind. Sheep can't. You know, animals can feel the moisture of it if they're halfway close. They can sense no water hole whatsoever. Uh, even though it could be very near. So they would die of thirst if there wasn't a shepherd. Now, have you ever gotten the feeling that God created sheep just to make a spiritual point? (laughs) Once they have left their own uh, grazing range that they have, where they've been spending some time at, um, hopefully they haven't devoured that range and the good shepherd won't let that happen. Uh, If they were left on their own, that's where they would stay in that range and eat everything and nothing would be left and they they would be digging into the dirt trying to eat anything out of there. Uh, Not much a discrepancy there. They'd eat the stubble and continue to eat whatever would be there and nothing would be left. They're not discriminate eaters. Uh, Some animals are. They're not particular on the food like they are the the water. Uh, They don't know the difference between a poisonous plant and a good plant. That's why the shepherd has to really be very careful where he takes them. And, And they will check it out. A good shepherd will go out and check out what is uh, in that ground before they even get there. And of course, um, all sorts of different insects and things can get on them and uh, they can't do anything about it. You know, they can, they can, uh, there can be little vipers. Think of the Holy Land out in the dry areas and such where there's very little bit of grass. You usually think of big luscious spots of green grass where the the sheep would be eating. That's not the case. It's very rocky there. There's a little bit of grass here, a little bit of stubble, a little bit of grass there. Uh, It's pretty pretty sparse. Um, But anyway, they have a great need for shepherding. That's what we're really hitting on. You know, they they can't tell the difference between oats and hay and alfalfa and then a deadly weed. Do you see what I'm talking about? They'd eat that deadly weed just as quick as they'd eat some alfalfa. They need and have to have a shepherd or they die. Uh, somebody's really watching over them. Um, so, what's the key to their life? Shepherd. Matter of fact, uh, Carolyn and I were talking about this the other day. They are a very greasy animal. They might be the greasiest of all animals. <laughs> That's kind of interesting. You've heard of lanolin, right? 
I'm saying the other day, where's lanolin come from? Where's it? She said, she, oh yeah, that's right. You know, the, the wool. Um, they're totally greasy. That's a good thing in a lot of ways, but it's really bad in other ways because anything and everything that they touch or the wind is blowing around, guess where it's going to go? It's going to stick right to the sheep. And everywhere they go, they're going to carry that stuff around. And uh, that may not be such a good thing because uh, you're going you're gonna to have weeds on them, uh, vegetation, seeds that are blowing around there, and, and it sticks into that beautiful wool that we usually think of, that white wool. Well, that's usually not the case. They can turn out to be very dirty because of all this. But they don't have any capacity at all to clean themselves. You think of dogs, you know, and they like to, you know, clean themselves off. And you think of birds, you know, they like bird bath. You know, all the animals like to keep somewhat clean if they can. You know, they got paws or whatever, you know, and they can kind of take care of But sheep can't do that. Can't keep themselves clean. They have no physical dexterity to do that. And so they're dirty unless the shepherd cleans them up. Furthermore, well, it, there's just things that they can't do. <laughs> That's right. Well, they have to be in a place where there's good food. They can't be a place where the ground is even wet. Did you know that? They can't be out there where the ground is wet because they'll get foot rot. Just the least little bit of moisture out there. Uh, it can be a very fertile ground, but not real moist. And if they're feeding on that wet, moist ground, then they get severe diarrhea. And when they get the severe diarrhea because they have grease and their wool is just can be thick, and guess what? It coagulates on their body and that would kill them. Uh, they can't even eliminate. Uh, the, the elimination process uh, is not very good. As a matter of fact, it stops and it will kill the sheep because of that stuff. So a good shepherd is going to make sure that he shears them off maybe somewhere uh, during the summertime especially. Uh, but where they can even do their eliminating process. Otherwise, they'll they'll die that way. Just l- least little things. Anything that's accumulating on them. Very much so. Very high maintenance. Um, flies can kill sheep by laying eggs in them. So the shepherd has to be checking it out, see what's, what's in them and everything, and that will... They can't defend themselves. They can't fight off the flies or anything. A sheep can be literally driven crazy to death, you know, because of the the flies. So they can't even clean each other. You've seen monkeys before, how they clean each other, and they'll get in each other's ears and stuff. (laughs) Really weird looking. (laughs) No animal in the whole world is as defenseless as a sheep. That's kind of interesting. They can't kick, right? They can't scratch. They can't jump. They can't run very fast at all. They just kind of stand there and die if that's what's going to happen. And when they get attacked by a predator, do you know what they do? If there's other sheep around, they'll all go and get together. And that makes it really good for the predator because he can take his pick. Uh, 
get the best one, you know, as they run together, as they kind of huddle up. They can't, they can't survive. They have to have the shepherd. They have a meek attitude, and what they do is they just give up. They don't even try to, to fight. Um, if you try to, if one hurts a sheep, that sheep actually is broken in his spirit. And they'll be just crushed by the, the pain of it, hurt. They don't have a self-preservation instinct. They have no will to fight. They have no struggle to live on, so they just give up and die. So the sheep need constant attention. They get lost. They can't find water. They can't find food. They eat all the wrong things if nobody's watching over them. They'll roll over and they die. They get... He just didn't want to hurt the feelings of any sheep lovers. In case we have any sheep fans. That's right. Any sheep fans here? Uh, yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of for sheep. You know, uh, they sound they sound like they are distinct from goats. They definitely are. Isn't interesting how the Bible distinguishes. And they're so close, kind of like them, but yet. Quite, quite different, aren't they? Billy Goat that's you know self-willed and no fight. Oh boy! That's right. Exactly. I was thinking of all those disciples in the in the boat. The story that you covered late recently about being out on the lake. The wind pushing against them, and you know them all being, uh, you know, fearful of the apparition that came by him and Jesus came by him and stuff like that. And they're just all helping. You know, it's kind of like, like like you're describing. Like a boat full of sheep. Yeah, boat full of sheep. Glad you brought that up too, yeah. because was it last week or the week before? Yeah, as as he came upon the people. Yeah. And he saw them, and he described them as uh, sheep without a shepherd. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he had, had compassion for them. Yeah. Sheep. He's quite the shepherd, wasn't he? Yeah. I kind of summed it up. He it up by saying, God is not complimenting us when we call the sheep. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And needy and dependent. That's right. Uh, utterly helpless. We need him for everything, don't we? We're high maintenance. Bart. I'm not sure what Bob just said. I'm not sure what that is. I'm just thinking that you're describing the sheep and you're describing the income. That's right. Yep. We are the flock. Now, we certainly are. We are absolutely helpless without Him. It's amazing that sheep actually are the most useful kind of animal there is. You can use every single part of the sheep. And we don't have to go into all the little details that's been used there, but um, they are very useful. That's amazing that God would uh, be able to Use so much out of them. They they um, they meant a lot, especially to the society that lived at the time that 
Christ was around and Peter. And of course, we we get um, people like uh, David being a picture of a good shepherd. Moses as a shepherd. A lot of them uh, trained that way. What a lesson they learned <laughs> about leading sheep and then finally leading many people. So, kind of has a little bit of. Uh, meaning to us there as we, we think about that. Maybe some new thoughts. We are helpless people. We are highly vulnerable, aren't we? Um, we tend to wander away. We could if it was in and of ourselves. Uh, sometimes uh, Christians don't know what's good for them. They desperately need that shepherding. As Barb was saying, boy, they are absolutely uh, helpless. You guys been saying that, right? So shepherding sheep, real sheep, is a full-time job. And hopefully you can get some rest at night time. But during the day, you just kind of got to watch. Got to be really careful. Lose those sheep. A lot of potential problems. Um, now, that's, that's the flock. That's the sheep. And Peter says this, I exhort the elders among you. Okay, all the ones that are leading throughout all that whole area that he's writing to there. Well, who are the elders? Right? Who are they? And of course, I just pointed this out earlier. um, He uses elder in verse 1, shepherd in verse 2, bishop, overseeing, oversight in verse 2. Three terms there. The elder, I think, emphasizes their maturity and probably the official title of, of the office. The term overseer, you think about that, that's a function of, uh, of leadership, watching over. And then pastor is a function of feeding and, and teaching. So you put those three together and that's kind of what, uh, what the elders do. They, so they're, they're mature men who have an office in which they lead and feed. How about that? Uh, every elder is an overseer. Every elder is a shepherd. And if you follow the pattern of the Old Testament, nothing really new here. That's where elders really came from. There's a biblical basis for elders. Even before what we know as the church as it was officially set up later having these elders, uh, they'd been there before. Synagogues had ruling elders. The ones who would uh, teach and lead. They were the mature, godly men of, of uh, the synagogue. Well, the early church just picked up on that same pattern. And uh, they were refined, godly men who, of course, led and fed the, uh, the people of, uh, of the church. So that takes us back to the Old Testament pattern, just for a moment. Go all the way back to Exodus 18. We were talking about Moses earlier. Of course, we know he had been a literal shepherd. And then God turns him over a couple of million people and has him leading them, and he's doing it by himself. But Moses has a wife. She has a father. His name is Jethro, and that happens to be his father-in-law. Pretty wise man. And if we pick it up at uh, verse 13, Moses is out hanging out there with uh, Jethro. It came about the next day that Moses sat to judge the people 
And the people stood about Moses from the morning until the evening, all day long. Now when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this thing that you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as a judge and all the people stand about you from morning until evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, it comes to me, and I judge between a man and his neighbor and make known the statutes of God and his laws. Now, can you imagine being in St. Louis? Let's say a couple of million people are around there, and uh, every day you're out there amongst the crowd, and they come in there for you to uh, judge their different situations. Well, Jethro sees the problem. Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you are doing is not good. How would you like to have a father-in-law tell you what to do? That usually doesn't go over too well. (laughs) You will surely wear out both yourself and these people who are with you, for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Now listen to me. I'll give you counsel, and God be with you. You be the people's representative before God. You bring the disputes to God. Then teach them the statutes and the laws and make known to them the way in which they are to walk and the work they are to do. Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place these over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Let them judge the people at all times, and let it be that every major dispute they will bring to you, but every minor dispute they themselves will judge. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing and God so commands you, then you'll be able to endure and all these people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel, made them heads over the people, leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. They judged the people at all times, the difficult disputes they would bring to Moses. But every minor dispute they themselves would judge. Then Moses bade his father-in-law farewell and went his way to his own land. Moses said, I think you got a good idea. I like that. And so it was. And that's actually picking out, of course, he gave the character of, of these men. They were able men, feared God. They were men of truth. They were not out for sordid gain. Of course, Peter mentions that here. And... Um, Anyway, they, they were those kind of people that they would they would be wise, godly men. So that's the Old Testament pattern and of course you see that throughout in in the New Testament, same thing uh, develops and we get the word presbuteros, which you get the word Presbyterian, which is dealing with uh, first of all the word means mature, a mature leader. Um, back in Acts Chapter 11, verse 40. Churches have been started. That's not right. There's no 11:40. I don't know what I did. And I'm not so sure if I can find it. Read it. That's it. That's it. Okay. Thank you, Elden. Appreciate that. That was uh, a collection they were taking to send back to uh, Jerusalem, Judea area. 
and there's Barnabas and Saul and uh, the elders that, that that was going to be sent to. The ones so there were elders already by the time of chapter eleven in in the church. Um, Acts fourteen. Before I say the verse, I better check it out. Yeah, okay, it's there. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, as they came back around, they were strengthening all the the young Christians, the believers there, and so they they came back and appointed elders to lead. They prayed with fasting. They commanded them uh, to the Lord in whom they had believed. So there in Acts it develops. Chapter 15, you have the first church council and the elders are there. You have the apostles and that council takes in that. uh, If you see it in verse 2, right at the end of it, uh, Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning the issue. So the... uh, ones who were leading the church at that time. Acts 20, verse 28. See that word quite a bit. It's presbuteros. 20:28. Be on guard for yourselves. This is at Ephesus. And Paul comes back, has a little bit of time, spends the time with the elders that he says in verse 17 he met with them. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. Now there's Luke who's writing Acts, use the word flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers or bishops, episcopos, to shepherd, poimen, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And that's a good deity of Christ verse there too, isn't it? And, and it shows that uh, this church of God was purchased with his own blood. God, Jesus, shedding blood. Verse 17, he's, he's speaking to the elders and he tells them to be um, overseers and to shepherd. So there's the three terms there, right there in Acts 20, and he talks about the flock early in the church. First um, Timothy, uh, if you want to be talking about pastors, where's a good book to go to, right? The pastoral epistles. First, Second Timothy, Titus. Chapter 3, it's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do. So there, Paul tells Timothy that uh, if one desires to be a bishop, an overseer, it's a good thing. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 the elders, the pearl word there, who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work at hard at preaching and teaching. So there again he brings up elders. Of course, that whole epistle is dealing with that. We can get into Titus. But uh, that's, that's the thought. There was an Old Testament pattern that was already set. And then we see it in the New Testament how quick it picked up on that. And so it's very important. You have the sheep and you have the shepherd. It's not that they're... Uh, they're different. One is to be a hierarchy over, not at all. Matter of fact, in First Peter five, this is what this is about. He says a fellow elder, and he's fellow elder with them. And he talks about the flock and needs to be taken care of, you know, in, in a humble way. So um, Peter, I think, would probably know what uh, an elder is all about, wouldn't he? As he watched the chief shepherd.
Now, he says, we'll go back to verse 1. I exhort the elders. What would be a good word for exhort? How often do we come across that one? Anybody know how to define that one? Encourage. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's what those words mean. Um, to come alongside, to encourage, to urge. Bring them on. I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder. And uh, I think that's a very humble way. This is the Apostle Peter. The great Apostle Peter. And he says, I'm a fellow elder. That's that's really all I am. Um, we know he was... He knew Jesus so well, didn't he? Very intimate with him. But he doesn't pull rank here. He just says a fellow elder. But he does also remind them that he was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And, you know, he's been talking about suffering and such. <laughs> and he says, I witnessed his sufferings. I actually saw that. I, I felt it. I, I was there. I, I partook of that, in a, in a sense. And. The sufferings of Christ shows you the the humbleness, the humility of Christ, right? But the very next phrase is interesting too. You go from the sufferings of Christ to where? The glory. Has Peter been hitting on that all the way through, Peter? He tells you, here's the reality of here's life here. But remember, don't ever forget what's ahead. Glory. That is a good motivation to live in this life, isn't it? Short time here. Yes, Dwayne. When he says uh, he was a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, do you think he's talking about the Mount of Transfiguration? Read some comments by some commentators, and I think that's a good good possibility what he's saying there. You know, yeah, we're going to partake of the glory that is to come, but he did, along with James and John, see uh, a good glimpse of the glory of Christ. And so I think it would be very safe to say, yeah, he partook of that, didn't he? He definitely did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is something in the future. Exactly. And that's apocalypsis, the, the total unveiling. And I think that's the ultimate of it all. You know, because that's that's where, where we're shooting for, and we're all going to be partaking of that, right? And I think that's a good way to keep keep that in mind as 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 we march on in this <laughs> in this walk in this life that uh, we know where we're being taken you know as the sheep he's leading us to the still waters the perfect water perfect and pure uh boy responsibility um is immense the accountability that an elder has um very serious there will be an account that will be given. I think of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. And the writer here uh, says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls. That's a like an overseer there watching over your souls as those who will give an account there will be an account that will be given how shepherds have done with their sheep and it says let them do this with joy and not with grief 
for this would be unprofitable for you. So you can either do it with joy or grief, but do it with joy. You know they're uh, they're going to have to give an account for this, and uh, it would be nice that everybody would uh, be able to cooperate in this kingdom that we live in. Uh, look in James three one. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that such will incur a stricter judgment. That is very humbling. That is, uh, that's very serious. When you read that, you go, wow, who would want to be an elder? Well, you don't want to go out and take out on your own just to do that. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a very responsible job. It's, and then, the Lord says, here's my flock. Now take care of them. Uh, make sure they don't get lost. Make sure they don't get sick. Make sure they uh, don't get discouraged. Make sure they don't fall on their backs and die. Don't get back up. you got to keep them in the green pastures. Keep them where the water's fresh. you got to keep them in the right environment where they can take that food and grow. And you know what? Responsibility is incredible. But I'm not responsible for my church because it's not my church. Whose church is it? It's the Lord's, right? It's His church. It's not my flock. It's His flock. And that was His blood that purchased the flock and then realize then at the same time the seriousness of that responsibility. The job is to feed the flock. To feed the flock. That's how you take care of them. It's the best way. Um, each each uh, shepherd has an allotment. I think it's kind of interesting. I'm going to jump down to uh, verse 3. Not yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge. Allotted to your charge. Uh, it's like an assigned portion that has been given. Each shepherd has his part of this little flock. Some have what seem to be big mega flocks, but they're little flocks. And then they're broken down to even smaller and smaller and smaller flocks. Smaller flocks, but they're a portion of God's flock. And they're allotted to the elders' charge. Each shepherd, each of the elders of their, as if they're combined and such, they have this little flock. And their whole objective is to take care of them. Basically, means to feed. To feed them. Didactalos. Uh, means teaching. Yeah. Shepherd is to feed. He has a protecting work, an oversight there, of course. But the primary function for protecting them, feeding them, whatever, is to get out in the green pastures and the still waters. Well, what did Jesus tell Peter? This is the same Peter in John 21. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. 
feed my lambs. Bring the sheep to the place where they can feed on divine truth. The shepherd is not there to to please, but to feed. Not to tickle the ears, right? But to nourish the very souls. Not just little milk meals, but steak meals. Heavy truths of solid food. Lots of doctrine. See, our minds don't necessarily want to be doctrinal because it seems like we have to really think. That's what we're talking about. So the, it's all about the mind and how we renew that and constantly desire to know more and more. Doctrine means teaching. The daskalos, the teacher. That's what Jesus said he taught. And that's a shepherd's duty. Uh, feed the sheep. Feed the sheep. Yeah, good, good brainwashing. <laughs> That's right. Let it go into the mind. It's not G.I. Joe. Uh, jo- the blood just full of that. So that's uh, that's poemano. That's pastoring. Um, we might just pick up this next week, and I'm going to finish it there. But we'll get into the motivation of the elders, or chief shepherd, and we can probably carry on down through there. But anyway, that's uh, kind of a little bit of the idea of the uh, shepherding the flock. Quite an analogy that the Bible has on that, isn't it? That's absolutely right. Matter of fact, uh, what is it? Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4 says in verse 11, He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastor in the Greek, it's better to almost like hyphenate it there, pastor, teacher. Some of those pastors, teachers. All pastors have to teach. No. <laughs> no. 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 And a lot, there are some people that will say, well, you know, he's a good pastor, but he can't teach. I've heard a pastor say that. I mean, it was a big church. And he said, well, you know, I, I like pastoring, but I'm not a very, I don't like to teach, really. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. He said, I'm not gifted to teach the Bible. Wow. My gift is another gift. Yeah. So he's not a pastor. Well, yeah. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Until when? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. When's that going to be? When Christ comes back in glory, right? To all the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So that's what it's about. Building up the body. And so that body needs each other and the chief shepherd knows what he's doing doesn't he you know since the sheep uh, know the voice of Christ get through the word the spirit and word it's like when you become more familiar with that and everything become more discerning then you can know when you're hearing the great shepherd speak Mm-hmm. Whether you know whatever human vessel is speaking, but 
you know whether you're hearing the great shepherd or not. Yeah. You know his voice. Yeah. That's right. Exactly right. That's what we're looking for. Uh, yeah, just to take it to what does God say? It just comes back to that, doesn't it? What does He say? So he taught us a lot about the church. Anyway, thanks for coming out tonight. And uh, Dwayne, could you lead us in prayer?